is the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I'm your host, Martha Riley. I'm a TEDx speaker, cheese pizza lover, and master human connector. I help introverts, people with social anxiety, and awkward humans of the world find confidence, connection, and their cool factor. Because have you ever been to a party and someone asked you a question that you didn't know the answer to? Yeah, me too. It fucking sucks. But that's where I come in. I'm asking the questions so you'll have the answers. So sit back, relax, because there's shit we need to know. Hello and welcome to the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I'm your host, Martha Riley. On this week's podcast, the question I want to ask is, do you listen to celebrity podcasts? I was talking to my editor today and he was telling me about a guy and I realized I don't really listen to any celebrity podcast, even though they are kind of like a big trend now, I guess you could say. Like, Dak Shepard has one. Uh, there's a bunch of Bachelorette people that have them. I don't know if you count that. I'm sure there are others. I just can't think of any right now. But do you listen to any of them? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Real Martha Riley, where I will post the poll when this goes live and let me know. Uh, really, I'm asking these questions. It's probably just market research. I want to get to know you, the audience, better so I can create the best show possible going forward. Because as you know, or maybe you don't know, maybe you're just tuning in for the first time. Hello and welcome. But this week and next week are actually my last episodes of doing regular format interviews. Going forward, I will just be co-hosting with my co-host Colby, Wow, how many times can I say ghost? Um, I will just be talking with Colby the whole time going forward. Uh, we'll have some guests here and there. We haven't really planned that far out yet, but for now, it's just going to be us two. So tune in in two weeks to hear us really, you know, get going, get our groove back, or get our groove going. I don't know, one of the two. In this episode, I talk with Megan Wildhood, and Megan is super dope. Um, pretty much all people named Megan are, that's a fact. I have a really good friend named Megan, and she's awesome. But Megan, this Megan, is a writer and a journalist and just overall interesting millennial. So I don't remember exactly why I had her come on the show. I think it was more because she wrote a lot about anxiety, um, and I wanted to have a different perspective. But as I was listening back to this, and, and making notes, we kind of talk about literally everything. So it's just a nice, philosophical, deep conversation about, you know, love, relationships, connection, what life is like as a millennial. It's just great. It's, it's deep. It's interesting. Um, she has a lot of interesting points about her life and how she considers herself a pilgrimer. Uh, basically, she has never stayed in one place too long, and I can totally relate with that because as millennials, you know, we get fucking bored staying in one place too long. I know that. It is literally my life. That's why I have to move every three years to a different apartment. No, that's not the reason. I just, I just wanted to be relatable. <laughs> Megan was a, just a breath of fresh air, really, just being open and honest and vulnerable. And her most embarrassing moment was really funny. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I know you are going to love it. Take it away, Megan. 
So I'm uh, Megan Wildhood. I'm a writer. I work in done crisis work. I do social services. And more than one person at this point has called me a pilgrimer, which is different than a pilgrim, I guess. So I do that also. <laughs> what is a pilgrimer? <laughs> I unintentionally go on pilgrimages. I feel like I've kind of been restless my whole life. So I've been kind of trying to find the right place to be, the right job to do, the right way to live, and have learned that maybe the seeking way of life is kind of more of a way of life and a journey than an actual, I'm going to find the thing that will stop all of that from happening because there's not one right thing out there or one right thing to do. I mean, that's how I ended up in Seattle. I've been to really remote islands in the Hebrides in uh, Scotland and Ireland. And so it's taken me some really cool places, but also kind of a while to learn how to sort of live with this, I guess, energy or seeker spirit. Yeah, totally. I'm sure a lot of people can like identify with that, like being restless and, and being, you know, just wanting to do all the things. I think I struggle with that too, because I want to do a lot of things. But I also like am very introverted and I don't always have the energy to do all these crazy things. So good for you. <laughs> yeah. And then there is having to balance that with, well, I actually do want to have community and a place to call home and, uh, you know, roots and relationships and stuff. So that's been a really hard tension to figure out. What do you write about? I write, I write poetry. So that's kind of about a lot of things, but when I discovered that I actually really like to write uh, fiction, which was a few years ago now, I wrote, I have been starting to write more about social justice and mental health and how the structures that we have created in society now are really kind of not conducive to, to health on sort of all levels. One of the things that I, a lot of people are uh, very, keen on criticizing people for is like always looking at their phones and kind of always being sucked into technology. But I kind of see that as actually us reaching out for belonging and community. And that would be something that's very human. And so whether it's an addiction or not, it's still kind of that we're really seeking for each other. Our use of technology is another way that we're doing that. And because our societal structures around work and around individualism and around how you actually survive in this society um, are really not very conducive to relationships, which is, I would say is a basic need. And I think should actually be on the like base level of Abraham's hierarchy of needs. So I kind of write about that and sort of like the intersection of how you have to make your way in the world is with how you want to make your way in the world is. So that's pretty complicated. But And then also disability, which is related to, but doesn't quite capture uh, mental health. And then I've, I've written some kind of like random pieces just about longevity or some interesting new apps that are coming out. And I've freelanced, so I've written about a number of topics, but those I think are my, my main focuses, foci, when I do my creative work. Is foci the right word? I'm wondering now. <laughs> I know that's a math term, and I'm like, I oh. numbers hurt my feelings, so I don't really know if I want to Yeah, go. I stay far away from that. <laughs> the only numbers I know are the ones in my bank account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
So I like how you were saying like the intersection of how you make your way in the world and versus like how you want to make your way in the world. So along that line, what is some advice you have for millennials trying to figure out their way in the world and just, you know, figuring out their life? Because I I was having this conversation um, with my partner last night and he was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I was like, you know, I don't really know what I want to do either. So what direction do we go in? (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I think that used to really, really stress me out and I have to kind of stop letting it stress me out is that if you look out into the world, you'll find all of these like milestones and mile markers for where, where you should be in life, you know, like, oh, you know, by 30s, you should be making this much money and investing this much money and having a house and whatever. Even millennials get that too. The mile markers may have shifted, but they're still kind of there. And I just think everything at this point is like too chaotic and too uncertain to really get there. It's not helpful. It's stressful. It's not good self-care actually to try to follow those or try to measure up to those. And oh, But on that note, self-care, that's the other thing is we kind of have that shoved at us a lot, I think. And I've kind of felt guilty for, oh, am I doing it well enough? Am I, am I self-caring well enough today? And I think self-care is not enough if it's the only care. That's one of the reasons I focus on like social systems when I'm writing and not just, yes, definitely, you know, make sure that you're doing things that uplift your spirit and connect you with people that matter. But Self-care is not enough if it's just that. We also need community care. We need reform and better systems. And so if you're struggling and you're not really making it, nobody's going to self-care their way into true health and a meaningful life. Like that's just not how people were made to be. And there's all these like memes going around about joking joking about how to kind of avoid human contact. And I guess there was this article recently that said uh, animals, more animals are becoming nocturnal to avoid interacting with humans. And a lot of people were kind of joking, wishing they could do that too. And that just made me sad because I don't think that that's how it is. You know, I mean, I'm also an introvert and I don't think that avoiding human contact is going to work. I mean, not like everybody go out there and, you know, join a thousand clubs, but also don't beat yourself up when you keep looking at your phones because I think that that's reaching out for connection and community and it's kind of asking the question, you know, do I belong? Do I matter? And so while we shouldn't be taken in by all of the glorious things happening on social media, it's also fine to want to want to belong and want to be in a community, however that looks. And because of technology, it can look thousands of different ways, but I think it's still a real thing. I don't, I don't think that's a thing that kind of you can get out of if you're a human, unfortunately. So, but to be in community, you have to be real. And I wasted a lot of years being nice and polite and trying to do what I thought would make me likable. And it got me liked, but it didn't get me loved. And that wasn't really worth it. And being real is actually a lot less energy, as it turns out, which isn't like, go around and be a jerk to everyone. But being real is what will help you find that community that you need, that I think we all, that we all need. 
I totally know what you mean. I love that. I love that you were like, we can't self-care our way out of whatever the fuck because I love self-care, but I think the definition may be a bit misguided at times. Like it's definitely good to like take bubble baths or whatever you want to do, but it doesn't always have to be that. Like sometimes self-care is like, oh, I need to work out because I haven't worked out. Like I need to take care of my body and eat something healthy because I ate pizza the last three days. Just something like that, stuff like that. So I love that take on it. I think that's really important to get that across. And then I also love how you say that he wasted a lot of years being nice. Talk more about that. When was sort of the point you realized that you were too nice and you're like, shit, I got to be more mean (laughs) or like, I need to be more real (laughs) rather than mean. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty recently, actually, when I noticed that most of the people that I'd had around me were not there for me when I really, really needed them. And, you know, when I had an emergency or when I was really struggling, when I was, you know, some serious things were happening in my life and I didn't have people who were going to put up with that because they freaked out. They'd never seen it. They, you know, maybe I had attracted inauthentic people also. And so when life got real and I didn't have folks around I kind of went, oh, maybe that's because I haven't been real. And, you know, like when you have, when you have a major emergency and, you know, 75% of your friends ghost you in the middle of an emergency, then you you have two choices. You could say, oh, those people suck and I'm forever going to just take care of myself and not pursue friendships. Or you could go, huh, I wonder what my part in that was. Not like it's anyone's fault that you get ghosted, but I had several people doing that. And I went, you know, there are some changes that I need to make if I'm going to have the relationships that I want. Because if these are, these are the people that I'm attracting, well, there's probably something about me that is attracting them. And one of the things about being more real is that you stop apologizing for your needs. You just own them and you just say like, yeah, actually, I I need people to mean what they say, which is actually hard to do in Seattle. It's hard to find people like that. Uh, The Seattle freeze is real. But there are people, I've I've found people here because I stand up for my needs and I say that it's not okay to not mean what you say to me. Like, that's not okay. And so when you don't put up with that, yeah, people go away. They don't like that. But there are people who do mean what they say and then they stick around. And so it's, it looks on the surface like you're being meaner because you're putting up with less. But really, before what I was doing was being dishonest and just kind of saying like, you know, being like the overly understanding person and, oh yeah, I know everyone has a lot going on. And now I'm like, look, you, you are in control of your time. I know that's tough. I know that in this world where you pretty much have to work all the time and we champion the hustle and we champion like overworking and losing sleep is like a badge of honor and all of this. I still believe that busy is only an excuse because people are not living their priorities and they're not, which is the same as saying owning their needs. You're like, I have a need to spend time with my friends. So I'm going to make that happen. I have a need. Now I have a need to work. I'm going to make that happen. And this is where I feel like I'm kind of like, I'm, I don't fit in with the millennials as much because I do not use the excuse I'm busy. 
and I had to change that too, but taking the like radical responsibility of like, I own every minute of my time. And it's also kind of an act of resistance too, to say like, I own every act of my time, not my boss, not them demanding that I connect my work email to my personal cell phone. Like I'm, I say no to that. And I am claiming ownership of every minute of my time, which means if I hear the words I'm busy come out of my mouth, it's because I am failing myself and failing to keep my own priorities and my own needs. And that's not to say selfishness gets you good friends, but it is to say being real is being honest. I need people to mean what they say. I also need people to be there for me in an emergency. That's, that's a thing that I think friends do. I don't think friends are just the let's go to the movies type. So I'm not going to be friends with everybody. But I wouldn't have known that if my focus had been, you know, what, what does everybody else need? Oh, I just need to be nice. I just need to be polite. I just need to kind of, you know, be, be understanding. Um, and then, and that's, that's changed. So, you know, now I know here are the people who are going to be there when I'm having an emergency because they know that that's, that's what I need. And that's, that's actually much better than being, being nice to everyone because you can't be friends with everybody. That's kind of an exhausting goal, actually. So why do you think that is? Like, I, I get that point of, you know, friends sort of abandoning you in a time of need. Why do you think people are uncomfortable with trauma like that? Because I want to say, like, when I, and some of them aren't, I will say some of my friends are really good, but when I started being more vocal about my anxiety, I could tell people got like super visibly uncomfortable with me talking about it. And I never really understood why. Cause I'm like, like, no, 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 I'm fine. Like, I, I just want to like, let you know, this is what's been happening with me. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I'm curious to hear your take on why people are just sort of uncomfortable with helping out sometimes. The classic answer, I think, is, oh, people don't know what to do. Oh, people are, they, they want to be helpful, but they, they kind of feel like they're going to, you know, mess, make it worse or mess it up. But I actually, and that might be true, but I actually think that when you interact with somebody who is having a traumatic experience or going through something really tough, it triggers a lot of deep feelings in, in you that you don't want to face. And I know that because like that, I thought I was kind of, you know, kind of tough and could handle it and could be, you know, there for people who are going through hard things. And then one of my friends was going through something difficult. And I noticed myself going like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel these feelings. I'm really glad I don't, I don't have to. Oh, but now that I'm close to this person, I'm starting to, to realize like, yeah, life is extremely fragile and it can, get really bad, really hard, really fast. And, you know, what if, what if that's me next? So I think it actually, it touches on a lot of fear because as people, as like humans, we are all just so, even the people that look very strong and have their life together, we are all just like ridiculously vulnerable. I mean, Saying that as somebody who's worked in social work, like in crisis work, it, it doesn't actually take that much for someone to lose everything. And especially now, you know, and especially in this country with very little safety net and very frayed social relationships um, that have eroded over the years, uh, like that we just, it touches on this and it reminds us all of this inherent, irretrievable, inviolable vulnerability that we 
can't really do a lot about. And that's part of this life right now. Or uh, you mentioned anxiety. There's a, there's a part of when I, when I talk to my friends who, who struggle with anxiety, there's a part of me that goes, well, actually that makes sense to freak out about. And like in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, that it's not irrational. And I mean, some anxiety is sure, but I think we all, we can get reminded of things that are, you know, oh, that, that, that could be me or that, that makes sense. Or yeah, that is, life is like so, so fragile and can change instantly. Right. That's so powerful. I, I think people don't realize that, you know, things are going well. Like I, I'm fully aware that my life is pretty good right now, but at the same time, like it could totally change. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's this, it could be a medical thing. It could be a, you know, a, a divorce. It could be those things at the same time. It could be uh, any, anything that changes how you thought your life was going to go. And most people don't have the bandwidth to have backup plans. And that combined with the, I'm just going to, you know, not have human contact anymore because I get it. It's really, it's really, really painful. Human contact can be very, very painful. And I can see why a lot of people would, would want to stop. And like even good relationships, there can be pain. So I think that the possibility of something instantly changing is always there. And when you witness it happen to, you know, just your friend, like a regular person, it gets closer to you. And so you can't really keep putting it away out there. So that, I, I think that's one of the reasons why people struggle to help is, is it's, it causes, it causes a lot of real fear for people. So this next part of the show is kind of like a fun segment I like doing. Um, I just ask you three random questions. Uh, they're not really related to what we're talking about, but it's just a good, you know, brain twister, I guess. <laughs> so the first question is, what is the most awkward or embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? <laughs> I'm having trouble picking just one, to be honest. Uh, I've, I've since learned to just like, well, I'm awkward. I'm going to own my awkward as a spiritual gift. But um, I think one of the most awkward things happened when I was in fourth grade. It was some sort of special day at school. And it was like bring your parent to school day or something and um, to kind of talk about what people do. And so this one kid had a, had a guy uh, or had, a, had his father was like a stand-up comedian. That's what he did for a living. And so he demonstrated that. And he was really good. He was really funny. And I laughed so hard that... Um, I wet my pants in front of the entire class and all of these adults that I didn't know. And of course, everybody laughed. It was all part of the fun. But I would say that that was the most like painfully awkward thing that's happened, especially because I definitely still remember it. So yeah. Uh, were, were your parents there? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think my, I think my dad was, uh, he, he was an architect. Um, and I, I don't, I think it, the reason I'm remembering, like, this is probably one of the, this is probably the answer I should give to this question is because I don't remember his reaction. And so I think I actually, I was, I didn't take this event very lightly because there's certain things I've blocked out about it. And I just don't, I just don't remember. Speaking of that, I should probably ask him if he remembers. 
Um, so this next one is, what is your favorite frozen pizza? I have to go back in my memory because I actually, I'm allergic to yeast, so I can't eat pizza anymore. But I would say when I was in college, before I knew that I shouldn't be eating pizza, um, it was probably the DiGiorno's one with like the four or five different kinds of cheese, mostly because I just really loved cheese. Like it was mostly just, I want any vehicle that I can have for cheese. And that happened to be the one. Other people wanted toppings, fine. I would just pick them off and eat eat the uh, cheese. Oh, I only eat cheese pizza. There's no shame in that. <laughs> I, I prefer it. It just tastes better. I'm getting pizza tonight. <laughs> you know, nothing gets in the way of the cheese then. <laughs> exactly. I my My weird theory is that I don't think pizza places can make good pizza if they can't make a good cheese pizza. Yeah. It's the basics. Because I think, exactly, if you can't get the basics right, I'm not going to trust you with anything fancier. I don't need anything fancy anyways, but... Yeah, because then it's just a cover-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, the next one is, what does human connection mean to you? And it's purposely vague, so you can take your time thinking of something. What's coming to my mind, or actually more what's coming to my body how I'm feeling this question is it it actually means like commitment like making a commitment to each other not and not like in the in the marriage way I mean that definitely but that you know hey I'm here as a human just like everyone that's surrounding me and and I'm committed to having this experience in the most authentic way possible and that means not giving up on finding other people who are being honest and trying to have the best, and I don't mean best experience, like the most fun. I mean, the best, like the realist and doing this together in a, like in a, in a more long-term way, like not just, Oh, we had a good conversation. I find those one-offs actually kind of exhausting, but to have this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to like being a good friend and being a good partner when I get that chance and having that long-term, you know, life is kind of short, but it's also the longest thing we know. And to do that in a way, like really to be there for the people that are in my life in a, in a more ongoing way, you get to know those people a lot more. That's hard with my like free spirit. I want to go explore everything, but I think that's more important is to me is being committed to the people in my life and being there for them as, as this, as this experience kind of goes on. Um, Cause it's just, it's too hard to do it by yourself. And I actually don't think it's worth, I find it not worth it anyway. I don't know. There's a, uh, maybe a psychiatrist or psychologist would say that's codependent, but I think that the whole point of more than one person on the planet is, for us to be together. I think so too. I think that, I mean, what is connection if not, you know, other people like love and belonging are also on that hierarchy of needs and you can find love in yourself, but I think it's more rewarding when it's with other people, really. I mean, I, I would rather show my love for my friends and my partner and my family a thousand times over before I would, you know, ever 
do that for myself, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's a problem, but whatever. <laughs> I think even the whole like, oh, you got to love yourself before you love other people. I just actually find that to be total BS. We only learn how to love ourselves because we were loved by other people. Humans don't do that. Humans innately learn how to walk. That's just a program, um, unless there is, is, there's d disability. But human beings do not learn innately or naturally how to love themselves. So it's everybody, that whole, oh, you gotta, if you don't love yourself, how do you expect other people to? It's a, exactly backwards. Other people taught you, and if, if you had, I mean, because I had, I had really great parents, they're, and they're still around, actually, and they're great. Self-love starts with being loved by other people. It, you, you learn it from other people. So maybe that's what, maybe that's what human connection is, is we teach other people how to love themselves by loving them. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So how can we be there for people in the long term? Like you said that that's something you maybe want to get better at. And what are some things like, first of all, I guess, why do you feel like you need to get better at that? And then how are you planning to do that? I feel like I need to get better at it because I have this, you know, adventure bug where I have to, you know, gallivant off and go do the exploring thing. And that doesn't really, there's not really a regard for, for other people. But I also think that it's, it's part of how you, how you grow, how I want to grow as a person is to, is to really learn how to, how to, how to stay and be with other people. It's a good thing because I think that not having that, because we don't really have a culture that promotes that, that's one of the reasons why people are struggling so much with finding meaning. And they're kind of putting it on there, oh, I need more meaningful work. I need to find more meaning in my work. Well, that's definitely true. And I'm all for that. And I think meaningless jobs are, are immoral. And we should not, people should not be creating jobs like that. But I think that the meaning in life actually comes from other people. That's just how human beings are. And wanting to get better at that is, I think, part of my humanness. And also, people need it. People really need others to be there for them. I know I do. Um, and I think, I think that there's a, it's a huge opportunity for, for growth and healing, too, for, for yourself and for the, the people that you're wanting to be there for. Totally. I think so too. I think I, 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 I do struggle with, you know, starting this business and then trying to show up for everyone in my life. I do find it quite exhausting. Um, so would you like, what advice do you have around creating boundaries for yourself and like telling people just like, yo, no, not right now. Like I'll see you in a little bit. Um, because I'm unequivocally very bad at that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that, and that comes back to, you know, the championing of the hustle and always working and never sleeping and always being there for everybody. And also the being real. I mean, I think the first step is owning that you have needs and then owning what they are. And that's, a, that's actually a really hard process to do because you're admitting that you're vulnerable. You're admitting, I can't do everything myself, even though our culture says that's what you need to do is do everything yourself. That's what individualism is. You know, provide for all your needs yourself, including your relational needs, which is incoherent. So owning that you have needs 
and that you always will. That's not a thing you grow out of. And, and then being specific about what they are. And then it goes like being real with the people in your life combined with integrity. So I'm available for this. I'm not available for this. Or I'm available for this. I'm not available for it right now. I'm available for it tomorrow. And then doing that, doing what you say. Because I think, I think the hardest thing is people saying that they're going to do stuff and then not doing it. And not, no explanation, not even, not even an apology. But if people, if you, if you have this track record of, you know, I, I can't do this this week. I can do this next week. Or I can't do this, but I can do this. And being honest with that. And then I think actually people don't really have, have much of a problem. And if they do, then, then what they're saying is they're willing to cross your boundaries. And that's, that's not healthy for you. And it means that there's, there's something kind of broken in them. But yeah, being consistent with this. And then also, yeah, following up and, and meaning what you say, I think are, they're not easy things. They don't feel good. It takes like a while to get it right. But I feel a lot better when I'm able to say I can do this, not this, or I'm available for this, but not this, because I don't get resentful. And it's easier for me to say no if I know there's a yes that I can say yes to instead or in the future. As millennials, I feel like we're bad at that. We're very bad at setting boundaries because we want to do everything all the time. And I, I think, yeah, we just really came full circle on our whole conversation. And we're told like we're not really worthwhile humans unless, you know, we have, you know, a, a great partnership and a great business and a great everything. And that we're, you know, we have all of the things we're doing all the things, you know, we, we, you know, otherwise we're failures and we're worthless as humans. And, um, that, and that's, that serves the capitalist agenda very well, but it doesn't serve hu humanness very well. Perfect. Uh, it was, yeah. So if we loved listening to you and want to find more of you, where can we look? Tell us where to go. My website is uh, just my name, uh, Megan, M-E-G-A-N, Wildhood, W-I-L-D-H-O-O-D.com. That's where all my publications are. And I do a very like short newsletter, so you can sign up for it there. Um, and then I write monthly for madinamerica.com. And I'm on Twitter, MNR Wildhood. And yeah, I, I love to hear from people. I always get excited when there's comments or emails and stuff. So yeah, those are the primary ways to get a hold of me. And I, I love to hear from people. If you are interested in getting in touch with Megan, you can find all of her information in the show notes. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on the Shit You Need to Know podcast. Thanks for listening to the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I've set up a phone number in case you have a question you need answering or just want to talk. Feel free to give me a ring at 301-941-7448. That's 301-941-SHIT. Also, don't give me a ring. No one does that. You can text the number two. I don't know why I said ring. If you enjoyed this episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast, feel free to subscribe on iTunes and rate it five stars.